Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. Uh, so um, I, I shared with you guys last week that I hate getting to the end of my day or getting to the end of a, se- a season in my life and realizing that, oh, I haven't accomplished what I wanted to accomplish or I haven't done, I haven't finished what I wanted to, you know, what I set out to finish. Um, I've shared with many of you guys before, this is one of my favorite stories, but I, I've shared with many of you guys before that um, Bronnie Ware is an Australian uh, nurse who spends much of, much of her time taking care of people in the last 12 weeks of their life. Um, and she found, <clears throat> in her interaction, she found that people would often have the same epiphanies at the end of their life. They realize at the end of their lives, they often realize the same things. And so she recorded um, these things and, and uh, put them in, they're the basis for her book, um, Top Five Regrets of the Dying. Uh, great book. Um, I wanted to, to highlight two of, two of the five that she talks about in there. So first, I've talked with you about before. Uh, first regret of the dying is working too much. Um, Bronnie says this, she, this is a quote from her. She says, this came from every male patient that I nursed. They missed their children's youth and their partner's companionship. All of the men I nursed deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. Um, and obviously, I love this. I love, I love her. I love her quotes. I love her book. I love all the ideas. And even though I know this, Second regret of the dying that I want to share with you guys today is losing, uh, losing, touch, with, losing touch with friends. Bronnie says this. <clears throat> often they, the, the, the people she was taking care of, often they would not truly realize the full benefits of old friends until their dying weeks. Many, be, many become so caught up in their own lives that they had let golden friendships slip by over the years there were many deep regrets about not giving friendships the time and effort they deserved. Everyone misses their friends when they are dying. Um, it's great, great quote. Um, and so obviously, for, for when, you're, when you're walking around healthy and living, you feel so far from death. And so you're like, ah, that doesn't. I, we would just obviously do well. We would be wise to, to hear these words and be like, okay. How, do, how should I order my life? You know, what kind of goals would make sense so that I, I make sure I don't get to the end of my life and this is me? You know, I, I, I don't want this to happen to me. I don't want this to happen to you. Um, I, and I, I want to set some goals to make sure it doesn't happen to me. And my, problem, my problem, and maybe this is your problem, my problem is the, the most, that the most important goals in my life often uh, give way to the ones that are most urgent. So I need to get my sermon done, and that, that feels urgent to me. And certainly it's important, but you know, I, I need to spend time with my wife. It doesn't feel as urgent. It's important, but I, I, and so it gets pushed to the back burner, and it slips to the back. Bronnie Ware, she would say, be careful. I see what's happening. Be careful. Because if I'm not intentional, I'll get to the end of my life and I'll realize that's not, that's not how I want it. I get to the end and this is, that's not how I wanted to spend my life. That's not what I wanted to do with. So how do I rightly prioritize things in my life 
when I know my natural tendency is to let the most important things slip, the most valuable things slip. And Jesus, Jesus tells us this. He, he, he says, let me give you guys a little hint or a secret into how you do this. He says this, seek first my kingdom and then all these things, all these other things you worry about or concerned about or all the things you, you get all amped up about, I'll take care of those. You seek first my kingdom and you get these other things. When I seek Jesus first, he helps me to prioritize um, my life in a way where I won't get to the end of a season in my life and look back and I'm like, I should have did things differently. It's, and again, this, this is part of what communion is. Every week when we're taking communion, it's like, how am I prioritizing my life? And it's a little, it's a, it's a check time. It's like, am I prioritizing my life or I'm going to get to the end and be regretful? This is, this is, this is what Jesus helps us do. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he helps me to, to at least think about approaching my life with wisdom that's supernatural, I think. Um, this is what he wants for each of us. This is what he wants for each of us. So in seeking God first over the years, um, trying to seek for God first over the years, doing ministry, five things emerged or came up that were really important that, that, see, that keep coming up that our leadership wants to pass on to you. Um, and first, the first one of the, uh, is this that each of us would understand who uh, the, the purpose God created us for. You get this messed up and you will get to the end of your life and, and, and you will say, I wish I didn't spend my life that way. Um, that each of us would be able to articulate and defend what we believe. Um, that each of us would, would make Christian relationships a priority. That each of us would be engaged in a vibrant relationship with Jesus and that each of us would be committed to sharing Christ through acts of love and words of truth. Created, articulate, priority, engaged, sharing. Those things end up making this acronym that we've used to help you remember it, CAPES. Um, we use that to, to help you. We want to make it easy for you to remember. And, and here's why. You can't accomplish a goal that you can't remember. Last week, I went over the first two. This week, I'm going to go over the next two. Um, and, I, and I hope to inspire you to make them goals in your life, to buy in. Um, and again, these things, I've, I said last week, these, I don't, these aren't things that we take lightly or just put down in front of you. Just, uh, this is Christian-y, spiritual goal. These are things that we think matter. I want you to buy into them. I want you to buy into them. So last week I said, I want you to be able to um, understand why, you know, what the purpose God's made you for, the reason, and then I, I want you, um, you, and this is, this is what it is. You were made to glorify God by enjoying him forever. You were made to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And again, maybe, maybe you would think, yeah, I mean, I can get on board with glorifying God. You've been taught that all your life, but... No one, no one told me that I was supposed to glorify God by enjoying him. And most of us, and what I said last week is most of us have no idea what it's like to desire Christ, to, to, to have him enjoyed by us. We talked last week about you get there about denying yourself, seeking him first. And if you didn't hear that, you can... Just go back and listen. But then I said this. I said, I want you to be able to articulate and defend your faith. And I talked about um, a guy named Abdu Murray who grew up as a Muslim. And he often would ask Christians, why are you a Christian? Or why do you believe Christianity is true? And most of the people that he interacted with, 90%, he said, 
could not answer that question. I want you to be able to answer that question. <laughs> Third goal um, that I, w- I want to put in front of you is, is for you to embrace what, what I would uh, like. Uh, you know, this, what, what I'd like for you to embrace is the idea that I want you to make Christian relationships priority. And um, honestly, this, this, this one of the goals is the one I get the most pushback on um, for lots of reasons. One of the wisest Jesus followers was a man named Paul. And, and, and when wise people in your life uh, say something, you know, you should, you should listen, you should lean in. Paul says this, he says, don't let anyone fool you. He leads with that because he's like, what I'm about to say, you're going to want to push back on. What I'm about to say, you're going to want to lean against. Anytime the Bible starts, well, starts with something like this, it should give us pause. It should give us a warning. It's, just, it's, 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 like, it's like when you're, when you're driving down the road and you see a sign that says the bridge is out, you should pick up on that. This is a sign. This is what he's saying. He's like, okay, don't let anybody fool you because many of you guys are getting fooled. And he says this, don't let anyone fool you. Bad people can make those who want to live good become bad. Bad people can make those who want to live good become bad. And this verse is challenging for us um, because it doesn't apply to any of us because none of our friends are bad people, right? But in this context, here's what it means. Here's what it means. And, because, and obviously, bad people are so subjective. Um, the only person that's really bad is Hitler and maybe Judas. But here's what it means in this context. Here's what it means in this context. People who don't uphold the same morals as Christ. And certainly we all do this, right? We can all be the bad friend at times. Paul is saying, don't spend the bulk of your time with people who are not about obeying Christ. Um, and, and as wise as Paul is, he's just riffing on a quote from another guy, arguably the, the, the wisest person who ever lived, a man named Solomon. And this is what Solomon says. He says, be friends with those who are wise and you will become wise. Choose fools to be your friends and you will have trouble. And again, another, in, th- in this context, a fool is just a person who's choosing sin over God. Or he's like, mm, I'm, not, I'm not about doing those things. And, and some of you know that Solomon um, may have been speaking from experience. When he wrote this, because he married many people who did not worship God and wor- or worship God and other gods. And, and this is what it says. When Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away, turned his heart away to follow other gods. His whole heart was not faithful to the Lord, his God, as the heart of his father, David, had been. And this is a tragedy. <laughs> And if you, if you go into more details about what Solomon did and who he became, it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. So listen, and you, and you know this, following Jesus is hard. It's hard. Uh, if we want to do it well, we all need to surround ourselves with others who want to be about that business. And again, so and you guys, Olympics are about to start. Olympians, elite athletes, always surround themselves with other elite athletes. 
there's been a, a fair amount of research into, into this, guys. Um, so f- the first major study uh, of how we're influenced socially was conducted by um, Nicholas Christakis and James Fowler. And they studied things like obesity and overeating. And, and it, here's what they found. They found that if you surround yourself with folks who overeat, you're more, you're more likely to overeat, right? Like when you get together with your people and they're all overeating and you're more likely to do that, which, you know, that makes sense. That makes sense. Over time, it makes sense. They studied smoking. They found like if your friends smoke, you're 61% more likely to be a smoker yourself. They studied happiness. They found that if you surround yourself with people who are happy, the chances of you being happy go up, which again, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. So let me say this to you. If you're content to surround yourself with people who are casual about following Jesus, then you should not be surprised if one day you wake up and you're casual about following Jesus. I'm not trying to, <laughs> anyhow. When, when people talk about um, the things that, that have most positively affected their relationship with Christ, some, as a pastor, sometimes I want to know, like, how can we become better Jesus followers? Or how can we do this, this better? When people talk about how they've best followed Jesus or best learned to follow the Lord or times when they've been felt closest to the Lord, they always talk about relationships. They always talk about being with people. They're like, that one time when I was living with these guys or this one time when I, was, when I was in this discipling relationship with this person, they always talk about relationships. They always do. If you want to follow hard after Christ and surround your people, yourself with people who want to do the same, this is why, this is why, <laughs> this is part of the list. This is why I want you to make Christian relationships priority because they matter. They matter. And, and again, you best believe this. You best believe this. You can't follow Jesus as well on your own as you can when you surround yourself with people who want to follow hard after him. And in our culture, that, you know, we don't believe that. People don't believe that. People don't accept that. They're like, I could be just as good a Christian on my own. No, you cannot. You're joking yourself. And again, I'm not trying to say, that's not because of what I say. It's because of what the Lord says. All right. I'm, okay, I'm, yeah, you're, like, you're getting carried away, Daryl. I know. Sorry. Okay, next one. Most important one. It's my favorite, right? We want you to be engaged in a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, we want you engaged in a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, and this is obviously not a surprising goal for a church leader or a pastor to have, have for you. Um, what's more difficult is explaining what this is. You know, how do you achieve, how do you, how do you, how do you have a relationship with an invisible person? Or, you know, how, do you, how do you have a relationship with a, with a person that, that you can't see? Um, so God, God knew this would be difficult to talk about or difficult to help us wrap our minds around. So he gave us a very physical picture of what it's supposed to be like. And I want to, I want to share that with you um, right now. This is, he, this is um, from the Bible. And this is this. We are all part of his body, the church. All the, every Jesus follower is a part of his body, the church. For this reason, a man must leave his father and mother when he gets married and be joined to his wife. Now, isn't that, so let's just pause and, you know, for just a second and think about this. We're all part of his body, the church. And then he follows up with this. For this reason, 
A man must leave his father and mother when he gets married and be joined to his wife. So, I mean, and that's, all, that's why we all got married, right? The two become one. This is hard to understand, but it shows that the church is the body of Christ. Here's another version of that, the same, because again, it's hard to wrap your mind around. It says this. That's how husbands ought to love their wives in the same way as they do their own bodies. Anyone who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own, hates his own body, but feeds it and takes care of it, just like Christ does for the church, because we are parts of his body. This is why a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two of them will become one body. Marriage is a significant allegory, and I'm applying it to Christ and the church. So for much of my life, much of my life, I'm certainly, you know, all of my married life, I've known logically that Christ is supposed to be my example of how I'm supposed to be in marriage or in life. Um, Christ is supposed to be my example of, you know, what my marriage should be like or who I should be in marriage. But what I didn't understand is this. What I didn't understand or I didn't think of very much about is this. While Christ and the church, while, while Christ and the church reflects to me what my marriage should be like, I didn't realize that how I acted in marriage should reflect back what the relationship between Christ and his church should be like, which is logical, right? <laughs> what Christ is should be what I should be in marriage, but what I am in marriage should look like what Christ is to the church. For those of us who are married Jesus followers, people are supposed to be able to look at your marriage and look at how you act in marriage and be like, whoa, okay, that's how Jesus wants to be with me. That's how Jesus wants to see me in a relationship with him. God intends for people to see you and think of him. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, is a pastor who was alive during World War II, uh, one of the few pastors alive who stood up to, to, uh, to Hitler during that time frame. Um, and he was in, eventually martyred for, for standing up to Hitler. He says, he says this, marriage is more than your love for each other, vastly more. Its meaning is infinitely great. The meaning of marriage is the display of the covenant-keeping love between Christ and his people. Did you know that? Do you think of your marriage like that? If you're married, if you want to be married, you think, you know what? I want to get married so I can display the covenant-keeping love between Christ and his people. So think of the best marriage that you've seen or marriage that you're part of or marriage that you dreamed about. And and that level of companionship and relationship is what Christ wants it to look like between you and him. That is what I want it to look like between you and him. That, and that may take time and that may take us to, you know, walking through different steps together, but that is my goal. And maybe you don't even know how to dream about getting to a goal like that. That's okay. All I want you to do is say, okay, Daryl, I'll make that my goal. I'll make that my goal. Here's how God, you know, often top level, here's how God achieves it. He descends to us, right? This is what Christmas is all about. He descends to us. He comes down to us. He stoops down to be able to interact with us. And you, you, you understand this idea. You, you've seen adults who want to interact with children, adults who, want to, who really want to connect with a child. What do they do? 
They stoop, right? They, they, they stoop, they get low, they get, so they can look in their eyes and see their face. And, and this is what the Lord does for us. He stoops. He, he gets down to us. God comes to us through his word and through, his, through history. He comes to us in Jesus Christ and his teaching in the cross so that you know how much he loves you. He wasn't content to stay far away. He speaks through drama and music and mountains and skies and intelligence and strength and speed and creativity. But again, through, through his word, he makes who he is clear. He speaks to us and he's speaking through his, you know, in his speaking, he, he makes, it comes alive through the Holy Spirit to every Jesus follower. And again, sounds super fancy and spiritual, but the spirit does most of the work. He's taken an initiative to have a relationship with us. And so we respond to his communications to us with, with prayers of our own. The spirit makes alive to us his communications about himself, about his character, about his work on our behalf, and we learn to love them. Which again, maybe that sounds hard to you. The good news is that the spirits, that's the spirit's job. The spirit's job is to make me learn to love his word and him and his character. That's the spirit's job. My job is to, is to return to him with prayers and acts of gratitude and the commitment to fight for the faith with acts of obedience, with doing what he says. Tell me what you want me to do. I will try to do what you say. And the result is that is a life that goes Godward and while he's coming downward to us. That's a relationship. That's a relationship. Listen. Communion is a time each week where we bring those two goals together. we're reminded that these Christian relationships that we share together are a priority. They make us a family. They make us a body. Um, we're reminded, and then we're reminded that Christ's love uh, for us that he demonstrated on the cross. So on the night of Jesus' death, in several different ways, Jesus reminded them you know, of his new command. He says this, Jesus, Jesus is telling them, listen, listen guys, I want you to love me. And then he says this, he says, I want you guys to love me, which is not a surprise. And then he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, do what I say. And I'm sure all of them are like, oh yeah, Jesus, yeah, totally. We, we're we're going to do what you say. And then he says this, my new command is this. Love one another. Love one another. The, obviously, those, those two goals mentioned are, are, the, are, what, are what, what, what my goals were today that I talked to you about. They're based on those two ideas. So in the midst of saying these things, Jesus is teaching them the idea of taking communion and remembering what he's done and, and doing, what, doing what he's asked them to do. And, and he did that intentionally so that when I'm tempted to be distracted by life, I could be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Is this what I want my life to be about? Remember what Jesus said right before his death, right before his death. And again, we've talked before about when somebody says something right before they die, remember it. Remember what Jesus said. When I'm angry and I want to get revenge or I, I won't apologize and I won't forgive, I can remind myself, you know, wait, wait, wait. Remember what Jesus said right before he died. He said, follow my commands and my new command is this, love one another just like I loved you. And even though none of us were there physically in the room with Jesus when he said these things to his disciples, I think that when we practice communion together, he's inviting us to pretend like we were, to 
like we were right there with him and act like we would respond to him in that way. Act like you were sitting around that table with him in those moments when he's giving those direct commands, looking in your eyes. Act like that. During this time of communion, um, I pray the spirit makes that real to you, that idea real to you. That Jesus intends you to have these two goals in your heart like, like they were, if you were there on the night before his death. Today, you know, we'll walk away from the service saying, you know, I'm going to make my relationship with Christ a priority. That's, this is what, that's what I want. And, and I'm going to follow his commands. And his first command is to make Christian relationships a priority. Love one another. Let me pray for us that we'll be able to do that. And then we'll take communion together. Dear Father, uh, in your wisdom, you gave us clarity about just a few things that you wanted right before you died. You wanted us to love you. And that didn't mean just good feelings in our hearts. You wanted us to love you by obeying your commands, following what you asked us to do. But your new command, your first command was this, that we would love one another. We'd love one another. So your call was for us to love you and to love one another. I pray that today even if it's you know, weird or whack to people, they feel like, I don't, I don't really want to make these things my goals. I pray that you would challenge, you would challenge our church family uh, to push past that, push past the weirdness or un, you know, being uncomfortable and decide that we want to make your goals our goals. We want to seek your kingdom first. If we do that, we can be confident that we won't get to the end of the day or a week or the end of our lives and say, man, I wish it didn't go that way. We want to trust you to take care of all the things that we seem to be most concerned about that feel most urgent and do what's most important. And there's absolutely, there's absolutely nothing more important than Jesus Christ in our lives. First, first, first. First, first, first. Teach us what it's like. Help us to experience what it's like to enjoy you. It will, it will make it so much easier to, to be engaged in a vibrant relationship with you if you would let us experience. Let, let the folks who are hearing me today experience what it's like to enjoy you. Some of them have never experienced you that way. I pray that starting today that they would enjoy you and that you would take it from there. Holy Spirit, take it from there. Take them deeper into what you've intended their relationship to be with you. As we take communion together, Father, help us to commit to that. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on our church, visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com.